This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. All across the internet, mock drafts happening all through the year. It never stops. When when one NFL draft ends, mock drafts are up that night, the next morning. We're already looking ahead to the to the next year. So in my opinion, there's no such thing as a, a mock draft that's too early or way too early or out of season. It doesn't happen. And obviously on this show, it's always draft season because that's the reality. And when it comes to mock drafts, it, it, the same thing is true. Uh, I'm Luke Easterling, editor of the Draft Wire, um, alongside, as usual, my partner in crime, Brian Perez. And Brian, you know, we put out mock drafts ourselves. We write them, we read them, and we also have fun uh, eviscerating others as we have been eviscerated on our projections. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at a mock draft uh, from out in the uh, the draft universe uh, and we're going to start to look at some of these team fits, some of these you know, names that maybe we continue to see in the top 10 guys that we think may be surprising team fits that may make sense or not, depending on what we think. Uh, but it's always exciting to to start to look at both the player and the prospect landscape, look at what teams didn't fill this offseason and try to try to match those two things up. You're 100 percent right, Luke. I mean, look, one of the best and and most entertaining things to do as a draft analyst is writing a mock draft because number one, it helps shape your big board for lack of a better term. I mean, I know a lot of draft analysts do their mock drafts with the intent of predicting what will happen in the first round. And that's usually a sound strategy if you want to be right in terms of what happens on draft weekend, but other draft analysts do a mock draft in terms of how they would draft if they were the GM, not necessarily what will happen, but what should happen. And the analysts who do the what should happen strategy are essentially stacking their board. I mean, they're going to take their top rated receiver for the first team that has a wide receiver need and so on and so forth. But likewise, it's not just writing mock drafts or even reading mock drafts. That's fun during draft season. It's also, Tearing them apart, Luke. I mean, that's what draft Twitter lives for, is going on, firing hot takes out left and right anytime anybody does a mock draft that, for whatever reason, sends their their favorite team a player they don't like, or, especially this time of year, 
puts their favorite team picking toward the top of the first round. And what most of you guys and gals out there probably already know if you're a draft fan is that mock drafts this time of year are really based off of Super Bowl odds and just reverse order. Team with the longest shot of winning the Super Bowl is the number one pick and, and so let's, on. And let's so be forth. honest, Brian. That's a cop out on our part. We do that on purpose so that people can't of yell course. at us about it, right? I mean, absolutely. I mean, we'll look at this mock draft today and we'll look. But that's one of the things we'll pay attention to, Luke, is where these teams are picking and whether or not we think they realistically will end the 2020 season in that draft slot. But this is going to be a lot of fun, Luke, because we get to play both draft analyst and draft fan at the same time. I mean, what's better than that, honestly? That's what well, we've been doing that since we were teenagers. So it's really, you know, it's not a big I mean, difference. That's true. I mean, you're right. When you say what's better, what what's better than this? I mean, that's the classic locker room thing. Like, what's better than this? And this sounds so pathetic, Luke. It's so pathetic for two guys in our age range, with kids and wives and families to say what's better than this? Reading and going through a mock draft in late June. But really, if you're listening to this show, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yes, you know exactly what that phrase means if you're in this world with us. Um, but yeah, without any, any further ado, this mock draft that we're going to rip apart tonight, um, it's originally from Pro Football Network, uh, and then 247 Sports did their own kind of spin on it where they looked at it and kind of broke down most of the picks, at least the big ones, and kind of gave their reaction. So that's kind of what we're going to do. Um, Brian, at, at the start, I think we, we talked about this in a previous episode, it's it's Trevor Lawrence's race to lose for number one, almost no matter who picks first, I mean, you right, you'd have to be someone like the Bengals, someone like the Dolphins, who literally just took a quarterback number one or number five overall and haven't had enough time to see him, although the Cardinals kind of trumped that with the whole Josh Rosen thing. Trevor Lawrence is just that special of a player. So I think whether it's Jacksonville, whether it's Washington, I mean, maybe if it's the Jets, you start to have the conversation about Sam Darnold. How did they end up picking that high if he's genuinely going to be the guy? Here, it's obviously the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I see it as a no-brainer that they go with Trevor Lawrence, at least right now. We haven't seen whether or not Justin Fields is going to challenge him for that number one spot. You're obviously, Brian, in the camp that that's never going to happen on any planet. I mean, I I like the fit here in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. Gardner Minshew, the problem with him is I think he might actually just be good enough to keep them from losing enough games to get this pick, Brian. That's true, and and even if Gardner Minshew isn't good enough to keep the Jaguars relevant in 2020, he might be good enough to feel like you can build an offense around him and use that number one pick to just reap a bounty of selections in return. Because if you think you have your young quarterback on the roster, if Minshew is able to flash playoff upside, even if the team is not a playoff team, you never know. I mean, these NFL general managers sometimes get a little bizarre and make the no-brainer decisions much more complicated than they should be. I don't care how good of a season Gardner Minshew has next year. He will never project to have the kind of upside that Trevor Lawrence is going to bring into the league, but you just, you just don't know. I mean, the NFL is a win-now league. It's a win-now form of employment for general managers, for coaches, for scouts. They don't want to see a team get set back several seasons when there might be a chance to spring them ahead faster on a on a somewhat of a rebuilding curve if you're able to stock the cupboard with a ton of picks. And the number one pick this year is going to probably be the most valuable it's been since the Andrew Luck draft, especially if a team that doesn't have a glaring quarterback need ends up with that selection. But usually, Luke, 
we end up with teams picking first or second largely because they had underwhelming quarterback play. So if Jacksonville ends up with the number one pick or Washington or whoever here in this top five ends up with that top pick, take Trevor Lawrence's name, write it down in ink, file it into the commissioner. It's Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. And, and at number two, I think this could be one of the best things to happen to the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, even if they were to endure kind of a, a disappointing losing season as they kind of try to rebuild around him. If, if all of that leads to them ending up at number two and getting to take Sewell, the, the offensive tackle out of Oregon, it, it might be for the best in the long run, because I, I this is as good as an offensive tackle prospect as I've seen in a long time big athletic physical guy who would allow them to move Jonah Williams, who they took in the first round a couple of years ago was injured, missed his rookie season. He could play right tackle. He could even play guard. It gives you some flexibility. That entire offensive line needs help. I think if they're able to, to endure one, one disappointing season rebuilding with Joe Burrow and they come away with this guy as a result of that, I feel like that's a win. If Joe Burrow is who we think he is, or at least who the general consensus of the draft universe thinks he is, the Bengals shouldn't be picking second overall. You know, this to me suggests that Joe Burrow had a really bad rookie year. And while Joe Burrow having a bad rookie year doesn't mean that the Bengals will pull a Josh Rosen, especially with the number one pick overall invested in him. I mean, don't be totally, completely, utterly shocked if Justin Fields has another ridiculously productive season in 2020 and Joe Burrow is terrible as a rookie in 2020, there could be some whispers. Another Ohio product, Ohio State quarterback, Cincinnati in the backyard. Will the Bengals be able to flip a guy like Joe Burrow next year to a team that still has faith in that scattering report if Burrow just totally implodes in 2020. It's an interesting thing to monitor, but assuming Burrow is good enough, flashes enough, has the kind of rookie season like we talked about in our last show, Luke, he's not a bust. Even if his stats don't reflect top-tier quarterback play, and if the wins and losses don't reflect top-tier quarterback play, you just trust your eyes and know you're looking at a future you know, franchise guy, future all-pro. If he plays like that, then yeah, this is a gift from the football gods. It's like exactly what a team needs in back-to-back drafts to build in terms of a blueprint rebuilding process. You get your franchise quarterback. The very next year, you get a franchise left tackle to keep that franchise quarterback upright and maximize your return on him. So this would be a, a fantastic selection, assuming Joe Burrow doesn't do something in his rookie season to make that pick get questioned. We've seen it time and time again, Luke, where it doesn't take long for fans to jump ship. It doesn't take long for the national media to jump ship on a guy. If Joe Burrow is terrible, I mean, look at Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins has had no opportunity to experience a learning curve before NFL fans and national media are already questioning if he's going to be the guy in Washington. The guy barely played a full season. He was expected to have a learning curve coming into the league, and they're already talking about the Redskins as a team to monitor to be in the quarterback market, even before Dwayne Haskins takes his first snap of his second season. So we're seeing in real time how quickly the shine can wash off of of that new car like we talked about. So if the Bengals are this bad and they're picking second overall, I'd be curious to see why and how much of that was because of Joe Burrow 
And if a guy like Justin Fields is on the on the table here and he has the kind of year we're all expecting, is there a chance that a guy like Joe Burrow could be on the move next year? I know that's a radical hot take. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think that's the least likely of any scenario to play out in 2020, but it's something to keep an eye on. Assuming all the boxes are checked the way we think they'll be checked, this would be a probably the perfect marriage between value and need for any team in the first round of next year's draft. Yeah, I'm completely with you there. And and I think the only thing I'd say about that situation is I don't think there's any comparison between the Cardinals taking Rosen at 10, yes, even trading up for him, and moving on to Kyler Murray after a year. The idea or the concept that Washington, after taking Dwayne Haskins at number 15 overall, which seemed to be much more of a situation where he fell to them instead of something that was really expected, two years of of him, if he underperforms again this year, I don't see really any comparison between those two situations and only giving Joe Burrow one season in Cincinnati on the worst team in the league to to convince you he can be the guy and, and otherwise you're moving on and taking another quarterback at number two. I, I just don't see any universe where he's bad enough to make that happen, and I don't think it really compares with those other two situations because of how much just later remember, they were drafted. I'm going to jump in here real quick. Just remember, new coaching staff, whole new regime there in Washington. Ron Rivera comes over. Well, this I'm jumping ahead here to to the uh, to the Redskins. Are we moving on to Washington? Because at this pick number three, with Patrick Sertain, the cornerback from Alabama, going number three to the Redskins. The point I'm trying to make here is, I could see everything we we're just talking about at number two. You're saying the Bengals won't move on from Burrow. I completely agree with that. Here at number three, I could see the total opposite approach being taken in this mock draft. Right, Washington I, I agree there. Washington thinks Patrick Sertain, the cornerback from Alabama. We'll get into that in a minute. But with Justin Fields sitting there and with a coach in Ron Rivera who had a lot of success with Cam Newton as his quarterback in Carolina and Justin Fields profiling as a similar talent in terms of athleticism and arm strength and just what you could do in an offense, I think Ron Rivera will have a really hard time passing on a guy like Fields who it will probably be graded this time when when we get to April you know, when the draft rolls around, there will be probably a, a Justin Field camp of fans who believe he should be the number one pick. If he's sitting there at three, almost regardless of the kind of season Haskins has, because I don't think Haskins profiles as a player who can be an elite starter. So he might have a very good season, an above average season. But I don't know if any season will be good enough to pass up on a player who could make Ron Rivera feel more comfortable because of the success he's had in the past. So while Sertain is an appealing cornerback prospect, I don't know if he's good enough to say he's the number, number three pick overall. There's no way a team that could have potential quarterback questions is going to pass up on Justin Fields. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. And, and to bring the fourth pick in here, I, I would flip these if it were me. I would say that if I'm Washington and I'm picking three overall still after two years of Dwayne Haskins, Either he hasn't done his job or I haven't done mine. And if I'm still the general manager, I'm not going to admit that I didn't do my job. So I'm going to try to find a new quarterback and restart that clock for myself. And again, for a new coaching staff, it's I like the fit with Sertan and Carolina much more. They lost James Bradbury in free agency. You get another big physical long corner to take his spot. Um, 
and I just think that that Justin Fields in in Washington would be a great fit if Haskins isn't going to be the guy. And like you said, if Ron Rivera, like a lot of head coaches, new head coaches do, wants to handpick his own quarterback, it's a perfect situation to get a guy who could be in the conversation to go number one. You get him at number three at the game's most important position. I don't see how you can argue with that. Do you think Carolina is going to be this bad? Do you think they're going to be bad enough to pick fourth overall? Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. They still got Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. They have some, they have some players, some dudes on defense. I mean, do you really think they're going to be one of the four work teams in the NFL next year? I don't. And the biggest reason is because I have so much faith in their new head coach, simply based on how many wings he can put down. That was fan. You know, for all you out there, Luke and I have made the annual pilgrimage to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Uh, several years now. I mean, I think we might've taken one or two years off, but last year, if any of you go down to the senior bowl and you're, you hang out on mobile, you know, the bar beats and you, it's basically your classic dive bar that everybody in draft Twitter, everybody in football basically goes to that bar at some point before you call it a night. And, and, and uh, one of our nights down there last year, two nights, you know, back to back nights. Yeah, I want to make this right, clear. Same, same right. MO back to back nights. Yeah, We were just Luke and I hanging back, chilling up against the wall, throwing a few back after a long day's work. And in comes Matt rule with his styrofoam container full of wings, throwing down a yingling. I mean, or a Guinness, I think, I think he was having a Guinness with his wings, just a, a dude's dude, a guy's I guy. Knew right I then he was worth every penny, every penny. I mean, those wings were multi-million dollar wings, man. I mean, you could just, this guy was housing them. And I was like, man, he is a football guy's guy. And you got it just, just by watching how he was pounding those wings and, and, and that Guinness, you knew he's going to, he's going to have a lot of fans in that locker room. He's that's be a that's not coach. a coach who's picking top five next year. I swear. It's not <laughs> no, happening. No if you have that kind of appetite, if that is your palate, hot wings and a Guinness. Mobile Alabama ready. food truck wings. <laughs> And you again, are let's... dialing up a lot of wins in the NFL, man. You are dialing up wins. So I don't see him. I don't see him picking fourth. I don't see it, man. If they do, is it a quarterback in Justin Fields when you just signed Teddy Bridgewater? That, then that's another great question, right? It, is Matt Rule going to be far along enough in his rebuilding Carolina to already pick his quarterback? Uh, no, look. The difficult thing with evaluating a mock draft like this is you have to put aside your personal, like, I guess your personal board. Like, I don't see any chance in in any planet, on any planet, that Justin Fields will be there at the fourth pick. So I don't even think it's a relevant talking point because if the Panthers are picking fourth, fifth, sixth, Rule's not going to be in position to grab Justin Fields. So it already makes that decision easy. And maybe he's looking at year two, year three of his rebuild to finally land his quarterback. And maybe he has it already in Teddy Bridgewater. Let's not forget, Bridgewater was a first-round pick. And Bridgewater was starting to flash quality starters upside before he blew his knee out. And even in, in, in uh, off the bench last year for the Saints, I watched him pick apart my Bears like, like a and surgeon. And my Bucks. <laughs> you know, the guy can play. I mean, he can play. And he's still young. You could build an offense around him. So I wouldn't be so sure to say the Panthers are going to be one of these teams in the quarterback market anytime soon, let alone the 2020 draft. So I think Rule is going to try to build this team to where he's, he's you know, the cherry on top is going to be his franchise quarterback. He'll win a lot of games with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, put this team into like that playoff range 
and then land his guy, whether it's a trade up in one draft, whether it's a an un, underrated free agent move, or just finding that guy, even if it's like a mid-round quarterback that he just dis- discovers. I mean, I, I don't see it being an early high investment like this mock draft is suggesting. Uh, number five here, Brian, is a guy that I know we're going to get into a little bit deeper later in the show. Um, but good Lord, can you imagine what it would look like to see Tua Tungavailoa in Miami throwing bombs to Jamar Chase out of LSU at the number five pick? I, I want that to happen now that it has become a, a fake reality in front of my face here in this mock draft. I want it for fantasy purposes. I want it for Madden purposes. I, I want to see this happen now. Yeah, I love I love that phrase, fake reality, because it's so true. This is such an alternate universe that we we live in. That it, I mean, it really is just this this fake. It's the upside down, Luke, as we like to say. It is. Um, so yeah, Jamar Chase to Miami. I mean, look, this is like like again, it's almost like the Bengals at number two being able to land that franchise left tackle. The Dolphins invested in the offensive line with the Austin Jackson pick in this year's draft. Depending on what you think of him, they should have their left tackle. I mean, I know you and I, Luke, are a little lower on that on that outlook than than some in draft Twitter. But if if they've got it right with him, if they've been able to shore up that offensive line, and you got a player like Jamar Chase, who is the blue chip wide receiver for next year's draft, that's the way you you put your quarterback into a position to be successful. Protect him up front and give him weapons downfield. And Jamar Chase, like you said, Luke, we're going to talk about him in a little more detail uh, in a few minutes, but Jamar Chase is a three-level threat, short game, intermediate game, and long game. I mean, this is the kind of player who turns a quarterback from an average quarterback to an above-average quarterback, to make an above-average quarterback a great quarterback. That's what guys like Chase do. So, yeah, this would be – and this is right around where I think he's going to go too. I'm, I'm sliding him up and down my preseason big board between number five and number seven overall. So this is this sits perfectly well with me. I think I think the fifth pick, fourth, fifth, sixth pick is where we could see him come off the board next year. Yeah, he he routinely the last few mocks I've done, he always ends up in the same spot, which is with the Giants, who's usually at number four. Um, I feel like he gives them that guy. I feel like they have some decent role players at receiver in in, in New York, but but Chase would be that guy if you're Daniel Jones, man. Wouldn't you love to have that guy? And he's absolutely worth a, a, a top five pick. Number six, the New York Jets, Greg Rousseau, edge defender from Miami, the the prototypical, you know, big, athletic, long arms, can can rush with power, can rush with speed, great hands. I mean, he's everything you want in an edge defender. And the you know, the Jets have tried in recent drafts to spend you know, a decent pick here and there, but they just can't find a guy. They they can't find a difference maker because they're just not investing premium resources in it. I think Gregory Rousseau is absolutely worth the number six pick from where we're sitting right now. And I think it's a great fit for the Jets who have just been looking for that guy. Have they had a guy like that since what, John Abraham? Look, Gregory Rousseau is not going to be on the board of six. I mean, in my opinion, this is the player that's going to challenge Penny Sewell for the first non-quarterback drafted. He's that kind of toolsy, like made-from-clay, prototype edge rusher for the NFL. Defensive coordinators are going to bang the table for this guy harder than probably any defensive pass rusher. I mean, you've look, the last couple of years we've been spoiled with some of these edge rushers who have come in the league, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa before that. 
Rousseau is going to be in that range. And those guys usually come off the board in the first three or four picks. So I don't see him lasting outside the top five. And look, here's the other thing. If the Jets are picking sixth overall, Luke, what does that say about Sam Darnold? Where are we with Sam Darnold if the Jets still are this bad? Three years in, I know last year he lost some time because of Bono and maybe it was an incomplete season, but if he's not getting the Jets, like, look, we saw Josh Allen turn the Bills into a playoff team last year. You know, uh, the the fact that Sam Darnold in year three is quarterbacking a team that's still in this scenario, picking sixth overall. I mean, I think at that point we got to put up some, maybe some caution flags. And if you got a kid like Trey Lance, who's still on the board, the North Dakota state quarterback, who maybe by this time in April is going to be considered a top 10 quarterback and your team is still picking sixth and Sam Darnold isn't, hasn't been good enough to get you over the hump. I'm not sure you can rule the jets out as a team that's ready to make a drastic move at quarterback, even though there's a huge Sam Darnold fan base out there. I know draft Twitter and draft media in general was in love with the guy as a prospect. I was a little cooler on him than most. I do think he has still has significant upside, but this is like, you know, our fake reality. We're, we're looking into the future here and we're saying that the jets are one of the six worst teams in the NFL. And if that's the case, that means your quarterback hasn't been playing very good. So what do you think this says about Sam Darnold and the future for Sam Darnold? Look, the pick, Gregory Rousseau, is great value here at six. So whoever holds the sixth pick, if they end up with a guy like Rousseau, that's great value. That That's actually a steal, which is hard to say at the number six pick. But what does it mean for Sam Darnold? I mean, is the ship on Darnold going to start setting sail at that point? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier when we talked about teams who could end up picking in the top five and – not necessarily having a glaring need at quarterback, but it, but what that would say about that need if you're picking that high. And I think Donald's a perfect example. And also think about the fact that that's about the time where teams are going to have to make decisions on fifth-year options for guys like Sam Darnold. And if you're still picking sixth overall, can you really be confident in investing that much money in another season into a guy when you have somebody else uh, at that position who could be available and, and maybe you just restart that clock? I, it wouldn't be surprising to me if you're if if you have a quarterback who's had more than a couple seasons to prove yourself and your team is still not out of the top five top ten in the draft I just I feel like at some point whether it's right or wrong it's the same thing with head coaches the same thing with general managers the quarterback is the the other part of that you know trifecta when it comes to being the fall guy for the team's success or failure and I feel like it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever to see the cow the, to to see the Jets in that. Uh, conversation. I want to move on to number seven because this is really the first big surprise pick of this mock draft to me. And it's not like I don't like this player. I just don't see the the value in the top 10. I don't see the fit for what the Giants need, who's the team picking here at number seven. It's Rondale Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue. If you look at the analysis here on the mock, it, it says that they, you know, they give him a viable number one receiver here. Obviously, I think that the the idea of what a number one receiver in the NFL is has changed over time. You've got guys like Tyreek Hill, who are obviously number one receivers for their team without being 6'3 and 215 and having this complete necessarily skill set. They have a trump card that they can use. I, I First of all, I don't think Rondell Moore is Tyreek Hill. Uh, I don't even really know if he's Jalen Waddell in this class, to be honest. And at 5'9", 181, I just don't know what he brings to the table that the, the – with whether it's Darius Slayton, it's Sterling Shepard, that, that the Giants don't already have on the roster. Yeah, this isn't going to happen. 
I mean, I, I don't mean to be a wet blanket on the Rondell Moore draft hype, draft talk, draft stock, whatever you want to call it. Rondell Moore is going to be at best a late first round pick who, you know, is going to be a luxury selection for a team looking to add an offensive weapon, a satellite player, a guy who's going to win in space, you know, somebody who can, you know, get take carries out of the backfield, line up in your slot, make plays, you know, with the ball in his hand. But as you said, Luke, he doesn't profile as the kind of alpha receiver who generally goes in the top 10. We saw a few years back when the Rams drafted Tavon Austin out of West Virginia, who was kind of a similarly built player. I mean, maybe a little leaner than Rondell Moore, maybe an inch or two shorter, but still that undersized college playmaker who was quicker and faster than everybody he went up against in the league, but when in, in college, but when he got to the league, you know, it was a rude awakening. And he's obviously ever, since then been classified as a draft bust. I was so high on Tavon Austin the year he was coming out that I was, I loved the pick at that time. I loved when the Rams made him, I believe it was a top 10 selection, but that was also a huge learning experience for me as an evaluator to not overlook the physical shortcomings at this position specifically. Wide receiver is a physically demanding position. You need the athleticism, you need the speed and quickness, which Rondell Moore has, but you also need to have the kind of size that is still capable of, of, winning even when you're in a losing situation the, the the classic you're open when you're covered type of guy you know the six foot plus 200 plus pound wide receivers at a minimum are are supposed to go in this range when you get to the later part of the first round when you get to the part of the round where you can you have that guy already on your roster because usually teams picking later in the draft have a more well-rounded club if you need this slot guy this speed guy that's the luxury pick. But players like Rondale Moore usually end up coming off the board middle of the second round. Very rarely do you see them as a top 32 pick, let alone the number seven pick. So this, to me, I'm not feeling this pick, Luke. This is not happening. Yeah, I, I don't. He He's Randall Cobb to me. And I feel like that guy has value. I feel like that guy's not a top 10 pick. Brian, before we move on, want to let our listeners know there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is the leading is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. You want to visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BlueWire. For a free welcome bonus, that's one word, blue wire. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Brian, moving on to number eight, you mentioned this name earlier. Trey Lance, the quarterback out of North Dakota State, I think he's going to be one of the most polarizing prospects, not necessarily in terms of his skill set, but whether or not lightning can kind of strike twice for a North Dakota State FCS quarterback. We saw Carson Wentz move all the way up to the number two pick a few years back. Trey Lance, a redshirt sophomore, 28 touchdown passes, zero interceptions, which is a big deal if you're just in your backyard playing against your brothers. I, I, I Can he be a top 10 guy? I think if he is going to a team like the Detroit Lions, like he does in this mock at number eight overall, where Matthew Stafford has, yes, he's he's not young anymore, has had injury issues, but you know we're seeing quarterbacks playing into their mid to late 30s. He may still have a season or two left of, of very quality football if he's able to stay healthy. I can't really think of a better spot for Trey Lance 
than to go in the top 10 to get the, you know, the, the satisfaction that comes with being a top 10 pick as an FCS quarterback and also going to to a team that has a veteran quarterback in place that can allow him to sit for a little while. You know, Matthew Stafford's been around, it feels like forever, right? He's been around, it seems like he's in the twilight of his career. He should almost be having that final lap. Like we're seeing what Phillip Rivers with Indianapolis or, you know, Tom Brady heading down to your neck of the woods in Tampa. It feels like Matthew Stafford's been, is like their peer, but the guy's only 32. You know, he was a very, very young player when he entered the league and 32 years old at quarterback. I mean, that's, that's kind of young. I mean, Nick Foles is right around the same age. And if he has a good season in Chicago this year, the Bears are going to tab him as their quarterback moving forward for probably the foreseeable future. So what, what's happening in Detroit is, you know, the, it, it's almost like the, the Matthew Stafford era has just, it needs to end just for change's sake. But sometimes change just for change's sake is not a good decision. You know, Matthew Stafford has more than enough talent to be a perennial playoff quarterback. It's not his fault that the Detroit Lions have been an organization that just can't get out of its own way. And he's actually the perfect player to use as the, you know, is he a bust question. Matthew Stafford was the number one pick overall. But I don't think anybody would say Matthew Stafford's been a bust in the NFL, even though the Lions have never been a winner. Matthew Stafford, it's not because of Matthew Stafford. Stafford's had some ridiculously productive years. He's had some average production as well. He's had some injuries. But the one thing Matthew Stafford certainly is not is a bust. And if you're going to tell me that Trey Lance, an FCS one-season starter who is a young kid who still has a lot of growing and developing to do as a football player, let alone as a quarterback who's going to make the jump from SCS to the NFL ranks, if you're telling me that Trey Lance, even at 21 or 22 years old, puts your organization in a better and clo- a better chance to win over the next three to five years than a 32-year-old Matthew Stafford? I think the answer is no. I, I just don't think that happens. What I think is an, an op- opportunity for Detroit in this scenario, if they end up with the eighth pick, is a team, maybe a, a, a team picking in the middle of the first round that's looking for a change at quarterback. Bears, this Bears, year, Bears, Chicago Bears. Bears. Never going to happen. Never going to have to be in Detroit. And I wouldn't want that to happen. Then, you know, the player's cursed. If anything's coming from Detroit, it's definitely cursed. But the bottom line is they would be able to trade out of the spot if Matthew Stafford has the kind of year at 32 years old where you feel relatively comfortable that you're not going to be searching for his replacement for another three or four years. Trey Lance, it might take that long, right, for him to develop into a starter. And maybe this is almost like a Favre-Rogers scenario where you take a player like Lance – let him sit for a couple of years behind Stafford, let him develop. And then when Stafford does hit that point in his career where it's time to move on, Trey Lance is ready. But I don't know. I, I, my whole you know projection with Trey Lance right now, the way I feel is he still is a prove it player. Like he's got to prove it, man. To, to have him going eighth overall in mock drafts, I get it. Like where else are you going to put him? He has the hype. He has the momentum right now in June, July, he'll have it in August where he's a top 10 guy in all the mock drafts. But if we're taking like a realistic approach here, if you're a general manager and you're building your preseason scouting list, Trey Lance is going to be high on that list, but you're going to say to yourself before I even assign a grade to him, like he's the kind of prospect that you cannot give a grade to yet because you just don't know enough about him. He's played one season for North Dakota State. This year he could end up throwing 
20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. And now the entire perception of Trey Lance has completely flipped. Now he, he goes from a top 10 quarterback to he's going back to school because his draft value has plummeted. Brian, so where, my- where do you think that line is for him, though? You, you talk about him being a, a prove-it quarterback coming off the ridiculous numbers he put up last year. What would a Where does that line, like where you would say he didn't prove it versus he, he did? Well, obviously, you assume to see some regression from a 28-0 and zero touchdown interception season. But I guess what would it look like for you to feel satisfied in terms of – or is it bigger than production? You just want to see a guy continue to develop? Because you're talking about, again, FCS production. If he dominates again, I feel like we'll be in the exact same place next offseason talking about whether or not we can believe that or whether he proved it enough because of the competition. I, I think it's like anything else. It's almost like you know when you hear all these scientists and epidemiologists talking about the pandemic we're dealing with, right? One of the big things they talk about when when they talk about a vaccine or a treatment is they need to gather more data. Like you just need more information before you can make any kind of declarative statement about, yes, a vaccine is coming and it's coming within six months or a treatment will be here in three months. They're still gathering data as they go through these trials and these tests and whatnot. And if you take that same basic philosophy of like, before you can make such a concrete statement on a player, you just simply need data. You need information. And I don't think there is necessarily a bar that he has to jump in 2020 for that data to be gathered to feel comfortable about his evaluation. If he has a similar season in 2020 that he had in 2019, you could confidently say this guy is legitimate, right? He's not going to be 28 to zero touchdown interceptions. But if he's 25 to four, if he has a six to one touchdown to interception ratio, which is like that elite range, five to one, six to one. All right. Like he backed it up again. If he puts North Dakota State on his back and they win a lot of games again because of him, if he's the beginning, middle and end of the offense again for a second straight season, you've now gathered two seasons of data on a quarterback prospect where right now we have one phenomenal year that almost feels like, is it an anomaly? You don't see quarterbacks throwing 28 touchdowns and zero interceptions. And I know Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network made a great point when he was studying uh, Trey Lance. I mean, he might have zero interceptions on his box score, but he didn't throw zero interceptable passes last year. There was a lot of missed opportunities by defenses in 2019 to flip the narrative on his box score real quick. So we have to see if the ball doesn't bounce his way next season, is he still able to have a phenomenal year with data, with information, with more game film, more reps, we'll be able to make a more concrete decision. So right now it's like, he's simply incomplete. To me, it's not even like he's going into 2020 with, he has to do this, this, and this for me to be sold. I just want to see more of him before I render an opinion of him. And then if he if he's able to do what he did this year, again next fall, kudos to this dude. He's going to be a top 10 pick. He's going to be a top 5 pick probably. He's going to have a Carson Wentz meteoric rise. But we got to slow the roll here. We got to pump the brakes a little bit on him because we just don't have enough information. This is this is NFL draft season, man. We don't pump the brakes. That's we don't have brakes. You know how this works. You're right. Downhill. We, don't, we can't speed. 
no brakes, no seatbelt, and no airbags. Huh. That's how we do it. That's how. That's honestly, that is how I feel about this next pick. I hate this pick so much that I would drive <laughs> a vehicle downhill with no brakes and no seatbelt off a cliff if I were an Arizona Cardinals fan. Now and they that spent- is a serious, serious emotional raid. I mean, you are. Triggered. I hate it. I don't even care about the Cardinals. I just. I feel maybe I'm sad for Kyler Murray that you you went and got me. DeAndre Hopkins, I have Larry Fitzgerald, I have Christian Kirk, and I have all these guys. And then you spend a top 10 pick on a tight end that we, we I mean, we really don't even use the ones they have. I, Pat Fryermuth is a really good prospect. Uh, I think that this tight end class has probably two or three guys uh, at the top of the class that I would feel comfortable with. Maybe a late first round pick, a top 10 pick on a tight end, any, any tight end that I've seen so far in this class, I don't feel it. I, I think that the, the Cardinals are way closer to being a playoff team than I think they, they were last year. Uh, but I feel like there are so many other positions I would address here. I would take a running back at nine. I would take Travis Etienne at nine before I would take Pat Fryermuth at nine for this team. I think that's how much of a difference he would have in this offense in particular. And I mean, offensive tackle. I know you've got DJ Humphreys. You just drafted Josh Jones in the third round, but I'd take a tackle here. I'd take Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Uh, I they're the very next pick, Micah Parsons, linebacker from uh, Penn State, goes to the Raiders. I would take him much higher than this. So if he's there uh, at number nine, I know I just took Isaiah Simmons, but then you can make him a safety. That's your favorite thing, right? I can move him around. That makes him more valuable. <laughs> well, look, I, I hate it, man. I don't know what else to say. I don't like it. I don't like. I don't like taking a tight end here. This is square peg round hole. I mean, Fryermuth is going to be a highly regarded prospect next season. I could see him being a top 15 pick. I think he has the ability to be a – he's got like the inline blocker physical profile, a receiver's athleticism and hands. He does have – I mean, you're going to hear every big lumbering pass-catching tight end is going to be the next Rob Gronkowski, right? Cole Komet was that guy this year. Pat Fryermuth will be that guy next year. But I do think he profiles more closely to a guy like TJ Hawkinson in terms of a, of a prospect teams will be willing to spend a top 15 pick on versus this year's class of tight ends where it was a general consensus that none of them were first round worthy. I just don't see any reason why the Cardinals and their offensive attack and who their head coach is, I mean, how the heck are they going to use a big tight end? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't think there's any way that Fryermuth becomes the right fit for that offense if he goes to Arizona I think he would get lost I just don't think he would be the kind of player uh, that would be the kind of system that that gets the most out of him and like you said the next pick to Vegas Micah Parsons yeah I mean is it almost like the Cardinals spent a draft pick a really high draft pick on a linebacker with Isaiah Simmons and like can they dip into that well back-to-back years and suddenly what does that say for Isaiah Simmons this is funny because we talked about this on our last episode where we tried to identify a handful of players who could be busts. And I outlined Isaiah Simmons as a possible guy to circle as kind of like a miscast, misfit on a defense. I hated this play. take as much as you hated me picking Joe Burrow and Tua. Exactly. I mean, you despise it. But look where we are in this mock draft. One year later, the Cardinals are in a position to grab Micah Parsons, who – is going to have at least a similar grade to Isaiah Simmons, maybe even have a higher grade than him when we get to this point in draft season when April rolls around. But will they be able to justify to their fan base selecting back-to-back first-round, spending back-to-back first-round picks on linebacker? A lot will depend on who Isaiah Simmons is in the NFL. 
And if it's just a scary nightmare proposition to line both of these guys up uh, next to each other on the second level of a defense. But if we're sitting here next year's draft and saying, oh, yeah, they're, they're drafting Micah Parsons because now they've decided to kick Isaiah Simmons back to safety. It probably means Isaiah Simmons didn't have the kind of rookie year we were all expecting. But, you know, Friar Muth at nine, uh, I, I agree, man. A good player, bad fit. Vegas gets a steal here at Micah Parsons at 10. Man, I love this. I love this pick as much as I hate the previous one. Good Lord, what a steal and what a fit for what they need, right? Plug and play starter, 10-year starter, stays healthy, multiple Pro Bowls, all pros in in his future. Easy evaluation. The the today's linebacker, he checks every box. It's it's just going to be a really easy first-round pick for whatever team is in that range to take him next year. Well, and, and I want to make this comparison because I leading uh, into last year's draft, not the 2020 draft, the 2019 draft, I I knew very early on that the Bucks were going to take Devin White at, at number five. I, I knew it was going to happen. I mocked everybody else under the sun to them until the very end of the, the series because I, I was hoping that they would not take an inside linebacker, an off-ball linebacker with a, with a top five pick. I just didn't see the value, the positional value. I didn't like it. Um and then I had a front row seat to Devin White's rookie season and realized how wrong I was because that dude is that dude. Uh, he absolutely is worth that pick. And he had a knee injury at the very beginning of the season that really stunted his growth. And once he came on, I don't know if you have seen the the famous play in the Seattle game. I was at, at this game in Seattle where he ran down Chris Carson from like another planet and was running like something like 21 or 22 miles an hour at 6'1", 240 pounds, and then hacked the ball out of Chris Carson's arm. It bounced out of bounds, so they didn't recover it. But like just watching that play happen with my own eyes was just the the perfect example of what kind of value he brought to that team beyond what you can just see on paper and say, oh, an inside linebacker is not worth the top five pick. I've changed my mind on that. Devin White has changed my mind on that. And that's why going into this season, I'm so excited about Micah Parsons and think that he should be in that conversation to be in a, a top five pick. Yeah, he, he's Parsons is, is a linebacker, unlike Simmons, who was a defensive weapon. You're just but not going to let that go, are you? Never, never. And look, I, I really think Simmons has a chance to be a great player as long as the Cardinals figure it out fast for him. It's not going to take any of that for whoever drafts Micah Parsons. I mean, he's going to be a linebacker from day one, and he's going to be one of those dynamic all-around defenders on that second level. You'll be able to line him up to rush the passer. He's going to be a beast against the run. He's going to be a beast in coverage. He has the sideline, the sideline speed and agility. He'll slip blocks, make plays in the backfield. It's just an easy evaluation. And I think uh, if he slips this far in the draft, again, I, I know that, that we have this positional value theory where running backs don't go high. Maybe safeties don't often go high. Inside linebackers, interior linemen. There's these traditional picks that don't really hear their names called in the top 10. Parsons will buck that trend. He's going to be right in or around that range, no doubt about it. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, looking over the rest of it, we spent quite a bit of time on the top 10 here, but looking through the rest of at least the first round of this mock, it's a two rounder. We're probably not going to get to anything in the second round, but what jumps out at you? I'm going to throw a few things out here through the rest of it. I I think that seeing Sean Wade, the corner from Ohio State, who we thought might have been a first round pick this year, along with Jeff Okuda, um, seeing him slide all the way to 27 
uh, was really surprising. I think here at number 12 with Denver, they have him, they have the Denver Broncos taken Israel Mukuamu from South Carolina, who I really, really like. He's listed at six, four, his arms go on forever. He's an athletic physical guy. Who's just has that frame. That's going to make defensive coaches salivate. But in terms of being a, a, a polished pro ready corner, I, I, I would take Sean Wade here at 12, uh, over him, we talked about how ridiculous the Dolphins' offense would look with Tua throwing to Jamar Chase. What if they added Travis Etienne at number fourteen overall with that other first-round pick that they still have uh, from Houston? Uh, I just think that would be an absolute blast to watch. And then the really big question: I, I think that you know, seeing the Colts take a quarterback, Brock Purdy at nineteen is really early for me, but I can at least understand that. I think it would be very interesting. We saw the reaction from the Packers fans to Aaron Rodgers needing help, and then they take a quarterback. They trade up for a quarterback. What happens if this mock happens, and at number 25, the Pittsburgh Steelers go with a quarterback and Jamie Newman out of Georgia, who I really like. Um, would be really interesting to see how that fan base receives that in terms of what they think and what they expect from Ben Roethlisberger, the end of his career, what they think and expect from Mason Rudolph. What, what else stands out to you about any of those guys and, and maybe anything else in this mock? I think the Jamie Newman pick, assuming he has the kind of year at Georgia that we're all projecting as well, that would make sense. I mean, you know, Big Ben's at the end of the road. It's just a fact. And, you know, father time. He's not Matthew Stafford. He's not 32. He's definitely not. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll probably have a nice year for Pittsburgh, but father time is undefeated. And father time is, is starting to win the late rounds now against Ben Roethlisberger. And, and it's just a matter of time. So getting a player like Newman into the system would make a ton of sense. Big Ben can't be, a crybaby like he was when the Steelers drafted Mason Rudolph, which, yeah, maybe that was a year or two too soon. Jamie Newman, this is a perfect type of use of the of a first-round pick. It doesn't necessarily have to be Newman, but a quarterback who is in that range, this would make a lot of sense. And also, the Steelers would be like a great team to circle as that club that can get aggressive to move up maybe for a Trey Lance if he does have that 8th to 12th overall range grade. If the Steelers end up pick 20, 21, you could see them getting aggressive and identifying a prospect like that and moving up for him. One of the picks here in the later part of the first round that I think is, is I can't see this happening. I mean, maybe it's just my preseason scouting bias. I have this player ranked number six overall right now on my board, and that's Marvin Wilson, the defensive tackle from Florida State, dropping all the way to 24th to the Seahawks. I just don't, I mean, when I watch this guy play, I know there's some limitations. He's a little bit, maybe not an elite pass rusher from the interior, but how many guys are? I mean, I think Aaron Donald has spoiled it for every future interior defensive lineman where you think they have to bring some kind of pass rushing skill set to be a high draft pick. You know, sacks aren't really the be-all, end-all gauge of production. Marvin Wilson is going to penetrate, he's going to disrupt, and he's going to help all the edge rushers on the defense that he plays with to get those sacks in addition to whatever ones he's able to accumulate himself. I just think this guy's such a good athlete. He's so quick off the snap. He's powerful. He's going to be a penetrating force in the league. And I cannot see him falling outside of that top 10 to 12 range. So if he slips all the way down to number 24, that would be insane. And I also look at the 17th pick and Walker little, the offensive tackle from Stanford going to Jacksonville with their second first round pick. You know, Walker Little, I think, is still living off of his high school, like, five-star projection. When he came to Stanford as, like, the best offensive lineman in the country and everyone is expecting him to be this blue-chip uh, blindside protector, 
his film up until last season was not that. And then he got hurt last year, and he still has a lot to prove, in my opinion, before we could say he's a top 20 offensive lineman. So I think it's really – it's just too soon to think Walker Little is going to be in the mix to be one of the first offensive tackles drafted. In this mock, he goes ahead of Alex Leatherwood. I just don't see that – you know, if, if next season ends the way we are right now, Alex Leatherwood's going to go ahead of him, and I, I just don't see that changing. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all, it, specifically about the Jaguars pick. I, how does Sean Wade not go there? I mean, they've traded away both Jalen Ramsey and – AJ Bouye, and now you know they added CJ Henderson with the top ten pick this year, but they still need at least one other corner. If they had the opportunity to pair Sean Wade outside the top fifteen uh, with a guy like CJ Henderson from this past draft, I think that'd be perfect. And I completely agree with you on Marvin Wilson. Not only is that guy a, a massive force that can anchor any defensive line, I think when he gets in the room with coaches, position coaches, head coaches, general managers, even ownership, I, his personality. I think, and his leadership ability, his passion for the game of football and and just the type of human being he is, I, I feel like he is going to uh, – he has no business being on the board uh, that late in, in any mock draft right now. I think he's absolutely a top 15 player in this class uh, and, and will bear that out in where he goes next year and, and how he plays. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you just you – just, He's a fun follow on Twitter right now with all that's going on with the social issues issues in this country. He clearly is a well-spoken guy, a guy of principle, a guy who you can tell is going to be a leader in a locker room. And and that's great when you can kind of pick up those little nuggets and those breadcrumbs because what we talked about in one of our first shows, Luke, is that all of these guys that we're going through here in this mock draft, every single one of them is in this projection right now for a reason. They're all really good football players. They're all, they all have NFL futures. But what's going to be the difference between half of these guys being long-term NFL players and the other half struggling to find a second contract is what goes on above the shoulders. And if you can find any breadcrumbs or clues or, or little signs along the way, and it could be as simple as social media and seeing how a guy is principled and the stance that they take on certain things, if you could find those hints and wherever you find them, that helps round out an evaluation. And I think you're right. Marvin Wilson is going to command a room just like he's going to command attention from offensive lines, which is going to make the rest of his defense, wherever he plays, that much better. It absolutely is. And uh, to close out this show, we're going we're gonna to take on a segment we mentioned to you guys in the trailer that we're going to be mining the social media landscape for all of your your hot takes your your scouting reports your opinions on the draft uh and we're going to ratio them we are going to decide whether we would reply to the tweet and ratio the heck out of it because we hate it and we disagree with it whether we would like it because we agree for the most part but not necessarily feel confident enough to retweet it which is obviously the highest form uh of agreement uh on that medium and for this iteration of that segment we go to the man the myth the legend daniel jeremiah from nfl network nfl.com he has a very lofty trio of nfl comparisons for jamar chase who we mentioned a lot earlier he says he sees a mix of quote steve smith panthers and ravens and Quan bolden and Juju Smith-Schuster all rolled into one with Jamar Chase. I hate player comps. I, I despise them in my own work. I understand that fans and readers enjoy them for the most part because it gives them like a, a frame of reference for, for certain things on prospects. I, I find that for myself, it, it kind of narrows my vision and, and helps me. It, it makes me see 
other players instead of the guy I'm watching and, and can impact it and negatively, you know, give me a negative bias on a guy. And I want, I want a, a pure picture and, and a look at a guy that's unique. But I tell you what, man, when you look at what, what Daniel Jeremiah says in, in his article about why those comps fit, it's really hard for me to disagree with it. And I, I end up wholeheartedly agreeing with this. I'm going to, I'm going to retweet this take from DJ and say that I absolutely see what he's talking about with the, after the catch ability, the physicality, the, the toughness in terms of trying to tackle this guy. He has a, he's a big play machine. He shows up in big games. He has so many traits that, that do apply to all three of these guys, all three of whom are receivers that I hold in high regard. Uh, and that's why I'm going to retweet this take. Yeah, I, I think when Daniel Jeremiah gets into his summer scouting, it, it's some of the funnest or most fun. I don't know what the proper grammar is there. Don't think that's a word, but we'll let it slide. We're, we're going to run with it, right? I mean, look, we're in a fake reality. We'll have fake grammar too. We are. That's I true. Think it, is, it is the most enjoyable, some of the most enjoyable preseason scouting work that you can read because Jeremiah obviously worked in the league for a while and he's very connected with uh, front office executives and scouts were still on the road. And obviously he does a great job on the media side with NFL Network. And he really brings to life some of these uh, these preseason evaluations. I, I think it's it's an interesting approach to doing a player comp by taking a blend of, of players and baking it into one Jamar Chase comp. Um, but I can't find anything that I necessarily would disagree with. I don't really think the Steve Smith comp works. Uh, I, I lean more toward Anquan Bolden-ish. Uh, I wrote up Jamar Chase on Pro Football Draft actually today, and I likened him to a, a little bit shorter, a little bit lighter version of Des Bryant. That, that's, that's whose game I think he resembles the most to me in terms of his mental approach to playing wide receiver. You know, He plays with this wound-up explosiveness when he's running routes and when he's running with the ball after the catch. And his my ball mentality, anytime the ball's anywhere within a catchable radius, and even sometimes when it's not, you just know he's going to be the alpha when he's running routes. It doesn't matter what cornerback he's going up against, what safety's coming across to help out in coverage. He's going to be the alpha. And you, you always had that vibe from Des Bryant, that Des Bryant wasn't going to get pushed around, that Des Bryant was going to win contested catches, that he was going to bully his way through, through tackle attempts. And find a way to make plays. And Jamar Chase reminds me of that. The only thing I worry about with Jamar Chase and, and why there is maybe a little bit of you know hesitation, for lack of a better term, to say he's a can't miss, is he did benefit from the Joe Burrow magical season. I don't think that that'll matter all that much. I think you can take eight or nine touchdowns off his stat sheet. You can take 600 yards off his stat sheet. And he's still going to profile as a top 10 pick. I have him as the number seven player on my board right now. And I do think he's going to be the wide receiver one from wire to wire, unless a player like Jalen Waddle really turns it up a notch. I'm a big fan of Rashad Bateman. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would retweet this as well, Luke. I think, I think what Daniel Jeremiah is saying for the most part is accurate in terms of his breakdown of Jamar Chase and the fact that Jamar Chase is this physical, you know, this dynamic blend of physicality, explosiveness, schooled route running, even though I think he can improve a little bit there, but schooled route running as a 20-year-old guy. I, I think he retweet this all day long. It's hard to find anything in Jamar Chase's game where you would say, I don't see Anquan Bolden or, or, or I, don't, I don't see Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, even if you want to say Steve, Steve Smith's fiery personality, you kind of could see a little bit of that too. So I, I would retweet this as well, Luke. And 
as we kind of wrap up this show, uh, we want to thank you guys and gals for checking us out. The listens and downloads have been fantastic over our first couple of episodes. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Make sure you give us a review. Subscribe to the show. Leave a question or comment in your review because we're checking that all the time to pick up more talking points for the show. Most important, tell a friend. Tell two friends about It's Always Draft Season. Let's We want to grow this show organically through you, the listener, to make this one of your go-to NFL Draft podcasts as we inch closer to fake reality becoming reality. And uh, for Luke Easterling, you can find him on Twitter at Luke Easterling. You can check out his work at uh, the Draft Wire and for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sports Illustrated. You can follow me at Brian Perez NFL. Head over to NBC Sports Chicago for my Bears work and over to ProFootballDraft.com for my NFL draft work. Remember, fans, it's always draft season here, and we'll talk to you really soon.